Some years ago, I wrote a poem, and there was a line in it. The poem was written from the perspective of nature speaking. And it said, uh, you've come here for a break, a break from too much, too much. You know what that feels like? Too much, too much. That's what I'm going to preach about this morning. Too much. If you'll turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, super familiar passage. Uh, It was even turned into a really popular song 30 or 40 years ago, however long it was. To everything, there's a season. Now those lyrics are going to be in your head. (laughs) Still try to pay attention. (laughs) Yep. Ecclesiastes 3. I'll start in verse 1. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get or to gain things and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend or tear and a time to sew up or mend. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit has he that works in those things in which he labors? I have seen the travail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He's made everything beautiful in his time, and he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work of God which he makes from the beginning to the end. Another way you could translate that last verse is God has set eternity in the human heart. That is why we experience times of too much, too much. I I preached last week and mentioned the idea of seasons. And that has not escaped me. It hasn't gone away. And for those who haven't heard that message or weren't here, I want to just repeat a couple things. Our life is full of seasons. And there's a reason God gives us in nature four seasons. And in Tennessee, we see four distinct seasons, although lately there's not much winter. (laughs) And I said last week that some people are in a, say, a summer season or a winter season, and we can have a tendency, especially if we're religious, to look at someone else who's in a different season and assume they're wrong. The truth is, they're just in a different season. That is what this is about. And by the way, Solomon recognized long ago that the idea of utopia is impossible, it's foolish. You know what utopia is? Perpetuation of the same thing. Sameness all the time. Always agreeing, never having controversy, always having what you need, balance, perfection, and harmony. And you know what? Even in the Garden of Eden that God created, which was in our minds perfect, even that wasn't utopia. Utopia is a human, humanist really, constraint. 
It's not something God created. God intends there to be seasons. And even in the garden, I don't know that there were necessarily seasons as we think of it, but God even taught Adam to have seasons of activity in his life. God gave us an example of seasons of work and seasons of rest when He created this place. The human experience is so tied up in the idea of uh, seasons or of changing activity, changing purpose, that we can't escape it. And I want, if the Lord will help me, you to have some comfort in relaxing and realizing you don't have to escape that. We're in a culture of such hyperactivity. You've seen a hyperactive child? That's how the culture trains religious people. If you're not doing that religiously, you're wrong. Jesus didn't teach us that. If anything, He taught the opposite. He got away from the busyness whenever He could. He had to draw strength from the Lord. God has allowed us all of these seasons, natural seasons, emotional seasons, psychological seasons, spiritual seasons, the mountains and the valleys. He has allowed all of that to transpire in our lives to break up the monotony of the human existence. One reason that people get to such desperate places that they take their own lives is they don't have enough seasons. And they don't know what to do when they do have one because they've been convinced by false voices in the world that you're supposed to be in this one state all the time. State of perpetual bliss or happiness. There is an energy, I imagine, I've, I've never performed music in front of thousands of people, but there's an energy even in preaching in front of a few hundred people, which, which I've done, that is unlike any high I've ever experienced. And musicians, performers tell me it's like that. And everything else in their life is a disappointment in comparison. But somebody needs to tell them that that's life. You can't be in a high state all the time. Amen. Not supposed to be. What would it do to your heart? Could you, or it takes something else, that state of being in love, the, the palpitating heart, the, the butterflies, the excited stomach in your throat, the, oh, you see, what would that do to you if you felt that way for 30 or 40 years with no break, with no sobering, deeper, more stable love? What would it do? I don't know if you would survive it. You'd probably end up with high blood pressure pretty soon have some type of cardiac event, you can't stay in that state. God has given us, even in our body, seasons. I want to go through this passage and touch on some of these seasons that Solomon identifies. I won't touch on all of them, just the ones that are, that are in my heart too. The first one he identifies is a time to be born. That's why I brought the little children up here, for all of us to look at them. Now look at the innocence of youth. Something that I sort of wish for that I know isn't possible is that I could go back to not knowing things I know. I'm talking about the heavy things. I'm talking about evil. I'm talking about the darkness and the blackness and the sin in the world. You know that desire scriptural? Concerning evil, we're supposed to be like babies? That there's things that go on and that are done that we shouldn't even have to talk about? 
We're not supposed to focus on those things. We're supposed to focus on the things that uplift and bring light and joy and peace. And I'm not talking about doing it in a phony way. There is heaviness in the Christian experience. But we're not supposed to focus on the darkness. We're supposed to be more like those little children. A child, before the world messes them up, before they watch those shows that convince them that they should look like a certain thing, and before they see those magazines in grocery stores, and before they, especially little girls, start being taught that they should be shaped a certain way to be beautiful, before all of that, a healthy, an emotionally and physically healthy child is the most uninhibited creature I've ever seen. Uninhibited. I was with a little baby the other day who was cracking me up. Laughing, funny. There's a time to be born. There's a time to enjoy the frivolity of youth and the blind faith of youth. There's a time for that. There's a time for naivety and gullibility and innocence. You know why? Because after a while, that time passes. And you start transitioning closer to the time to die. But there's a time to be born. There's a time to be young. There's a time for all that it means to be a child. There's this lighthearted innocence and joyfulness and playfulness. Excitement. I, I, I was wondering why children talk so loud. <laughs> was in a restaurant with my mama and I, I said, uh, how do you get a child to talk quieter in public without breaking their spirit? And she gave me some advice. But it occurred to me, this little child had a louder voice than anybody there. They didn't weigh 30 pounds. You know why? She was excited. She had never yet learned that life is anything but excitement. That's okay. It's okay. And some of us need to remember what that's like. Some people have gone, some Christians have gone so long without experiencing excitement. Some marriages have gone so long without experiencing excitement that you don't even remember what it's like. Some families, there's no excitement. Just drudgery. Your job, no excitement. You don't want to know my favorite thing about myself. Does that seem weird or prideful? Do you have favorite things about yourself? You should. You should. I'll tell you, my favorite thing about myself is that leftover childlike innocence that's still inside me that I'm so amazed and amused by so many little things. Little puns and words. Or, or uh, uh, The other day, I, I, I've been doing this a lot lately for therapy. I go to the lake, I kick back in my kayak, and I watch the clouds for like an hour. And I sat there and giggled. Because I felt like Winnie the Pooh. And I was looking at dragons and, and dogs and flying carpets. Oh, that may seem like foolish frivolity, but I've been too serious too long. I've been too serious for too much of my life. Now, you may not understand that. Maybe you haven't been that way. That's my favorite thing about myself. Enjoying small things. If you don't have a favorite thing about yourself, how come? Do you not like yourself? I like myself. I don't think I'm perfect. I'm more aware of my faults than you are. 
I like that what one person said, uh, I heard a terrible rumor about you. And he said, oh, yeah, tell me. And they told him, and he said, oh, it's okay. I know much worse stuff about myself than that. <laughs> it's true. That's how I feel. But here's what I'm telling you. Jesus has loved me with an unconditional, irreversible love that He won't take away. There, I preach this over and over. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He can't look on you with criticism, hatred, or disgust. And He loves you and He likes you. And if He, the Creator of the universe, the Holy One, can like you, why can't you like yourself? Know why? You're too focused on yourself. Get focused on the Lord and you'll like yourself better. Have peace. Be more like a child. You like yourself pretty well? Yeah, these kids like themselves until somebody messes with their head. That is scriptural. No man ever yet hated his own body, but nourishes it and cherishes it. If you hate your body, it comes from Satan, not from God. God does not prompt you to self-destruct. The enemy does. God prompts you to nurture and give yourself health so you can serve Him with the life He's given you. With abundance and fullness of joy. There is a time to die. We all know that. There's a time to plant and a time to pull up that which is planted or to uproot that which is planted. That is true naturally. We see that in the harvest. But what I want to talk about is metaphorically how it's true. There's time for you to plant yourself emotionally in a place. And then there is a time for you to uproot that. And some of you who've moved so much, I think my grandmother said she'd moved over 50 times. I told somebody that the other day and they said that would have killed me. Well, that person's not used to being uprooted. There's a time to be uprooted. There's a time to be planted. There's a time to be stable. There's a time to be restless and to ask God, you know what, Lord, I've been planted here a long time. I know something's coming. You just show me when and where. There's a time for that. You can't always be in a perpetual state of um, undistracted peace and bliss. Life is not about that. There's seasons. There's a time to be uprooted. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. Literally, there's a time to kill. It's terrible to talk about. I think just about everybody here would kill someone to prevent them from harming your family. God is, uh, I think, pleased with that. That's basic human duty. In fact, it's basic animal instinct. All through nature, animals protect their young. There's also a time, again, metaphorically, to kill those desires and those thoughts and those belief systems and those false ideas that ruin your life. There's a time for all of that to be crucified with Christ. There's a reason Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. There's a time for us to kill our own self-will. And as I tried to preach last week, the only way you'll ever experience true peace and joy is to kill that self-will. There's a cost to have that kind of freedom. There's a time to heal. There's a time, even in your own body, in your own flesh, in your own mental and spiritual and emotional, there's a time for healing. There's a time for renewing. There's a time that you can stop beating yourself up and relax. And let all that hard, critical approach to yourself go to sleep. There's a time for that. 
There's a time to tear down and a time to build or build up. Where I want to touch on this, and again, it's literal, metaphorical in many ways, but what sticks out in my heart and mind, there is a time to tear down religious traditions that aren't helping anybody. There's a time to tear down belief systems that we've held on to. Who knows why? And there's a time to build up. There is a time to reinforce the things that we do that are scriptural. Brother Steve's been doing that about baptism. Baptism is important. It's an ordinance of the Lord. It is a a coming out from the world and a setting yourself apart externally and visibly for people to see. That is a tradition we need to build up. It's important. It doesn't save you. It's not going to take you to heaven. But nevertheless, it's something that God ordained. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. This world we live in that has so influenced our religious structures and beliefs thinks that you have a disorder if you're not happy all the time. You know what the disorder is? Being human. I'm convinced that even in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, that there was varying degrees of um, emotional feelings. Why not? Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. God has emotions. Oh, they're not petty like our human emotions, but he has a varying feelings. He wanted to kill the Israelites. Moses convinced him not to. You think he was angry? Absolutely. He was justifiably angry. He's God. He can be mad if he wants to, without sinning. This idea that, uh, again, you can have a utopia of emotional experience doesn't come from God. And the more the culture embraces that idea, the more messed up they become, the more hopeless, the more broken, the more suicide rates increase. Because everybody on every commercial, go talk to your doctor, do you feel sad, do you feel anxious, go, you might need this drug. You know what they need somebody to tell them? You're normal. You're having a human experience because you're a human. And yeah, maybe there's time for some of that, maybe you do need to go sometimes, that, that's not the point of this. But you experience um, cycling emotions, ups and downs, because you're human. And because the world is broken. And because you need downs with the ups and ups with the downs. It helps balance you out. That's part of the too much, too much. There has to be balance. There's a time to weep. And the scripture commands us, weep with those who weep. And mourn with those who mourn. There's a time to laugh. Some people don't laugh enough. I felt so free last week as I was preaching that I, I felt like laughing. And I might have laughed a little bit in that message, I think. That's how I felt. It's okay to laugh. And we're not talking about foolish behavior. I'm talking about genuine joy. It's good for you. There's a time to mourn. We already touched on that. There's a time to dance. Yes. I understand why historically Baptists didn't endorse public dances. I, I, I get that. But you know what? I dance in private a whole lot. <laughs> uh, y'all may not. I can't say I don't either. No, I do. I do. And uh, <laughs> you'd laugh at me if you saw. 
especially when I'm working, I'll turn on some good music and I stand up to work and I, I, I'll dance when I work. My coworkers, when I'm at work, will come by and be like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you listening to? And I'll, I'll just give them the music and say, it's so great, try it. There's a time to dance. There's a time to have, you know what that is? Real, genuine joy expressed through these bodies God gave us. There's an appropriate way to do it. There's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them together. What is that talking about? It's talking about a lot of things. could be talking about building foundations of a building or structure. The main thing it makes me think about and where my heart and mind is with that one is um, the children of Israel crossing over the Jordan River. They put all these stones and, and they say, what is this for? And they're instructed, when your children come through here and say, what do these stones mean to you? You tell them. It's not some general monument. It is a personal, spiritual mind stone. Uh, what is that word? Milestone. milestone. <laughs> not a mind stone. Uh, personal milestone that you're reminded of. That is the piling up of stones so you'll remember. And the stones are isolated experiences God gives you. Yeah. Putting them all in one place so you can remember. I did that the other day about my job because I was so frustrated. And I started writing down all the stones, all the blessings. And Brother John was there for some of them and was my boss at the time. And I started thinking about all the opportunities I've had there and all the things I've experienced. And I had a big pile of stones. And you know what? I felt completely different when I was done. We need to do that sometimes spiritually. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves by putting ourselves in remembrance of what God has done for us. Pile up some stones. That too is scriptural. Paul instructs it specifically in his letters. There's also a time to scatter the stones. You know what? There's some memories you pile up that you need to let go of. Amen. There's some things God allows you to pile up to remember for a time, and when you grow in maturity or some other things, you don't need it anymore. You don't need to keep going back to that pile of stones because He wants you to make another one. There's a time for that too. And we have to be wise and led by the Spirit to know where and when. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. This is an expression of love. It's an expression of familial interaction. And this is an appropriate way, appropriate time, and not. I don't think that even needs expanding on it. It's so clear. There's a time to search and a time to give up. <laughs> Let me tell you, uh, <laughs> I have a personal example of that. A time to search and a time to give up. This will reveal my personality and um, why you all should pray for me so much. <laughs> so I moved, when I moved, I, I have a little fire safe, and <laughs> I couldn't find the key. And I looked for it for about, an, I don't know, half an hour. And I got sick of looking, and I went out in my garage and got an axe and a sledgehammer and tilted the thing over and put the axe on the front and pounded it with sledgehammer until it cut the lock. And when that happened, the thing flipped over, and the key was underneath it all the time. I had, I had the safe inside of a box to hide it, and, and I just chuckled. And I said, well, that sums up my personality. It does. And maybe if I was a little more wise, I would have spent a little more time searching and a little less time giving up searching. But I had peace about it. I was done. I didn't have to look anymore. 
How long would it have taken me to find that key? Well, I've spent a week looking for it, all the wasted time. I go buy another safe for $60. You see, there's, there's a time. And I'm not saying what I did was smart, but I, I don't, patience is not my strong suit. I don't, I don't uh, make qualms about that. There's a time to search and there's a time to give up searching. There is. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. Some of us who have trouble throwing away things need to listen to some of us who don't. <laughs> Brother Ben t- tells me that they're, in their house, they go through every drawer in their house once a year. If they haven't used it in a year, they most likely get rid of it. It's a good idea. We need to do that with spiritual and emotional baggage too. What are you doing with these things? Are you using them? I preached last week about letting go of bitterness and unforgiveness and all those kind of... What are you, what are you doing with that? How's it helping you? You need to go through your drawer, get rid of that stuff, and throw it away sometimes. And you know what happens if you've been to their house, if I can put you all on the spot? There's not that much clutter. In fact, I looked around and couldn't find any. There's people with so much spiritual clutter because we never clean out our emotional and spiritual drawers, the, the compartments, the containers inside of us. We need to. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. There's a time to tear and a time to mend. Now, this sounds like clothing, but it's, again, spiritual and emotional. There's a time that you come before God in brokenness. Scripture says that, rend your heart. Tear your heart before God. We're told that God saves those who have a broken heart and a crushed spirit. Yes. There's a time for brokenness, and there's also a time for being mended. Paul, on the road to Damascus, he's still called Saul at the time, This bright light comes. The power of God knocks him off his horse. He's down in the dirt. And next thing you know, this voice from heaven says, Stand up. There's a time to mend. When God saves you, get over yourself. Tell it publicly and have some joy and peace. When God gives you joy, don't feel guilty about it. When he gives you peace, don't feel guilty. You know, it, it continually amazes me, and I would probably be more like this if it wasn't for my uh, brother Hackett, who's always reminding me how human I am. I, I have so many religious friends, good, sincere Christian people, who beat themselves up all the time for no reason. Because they really believe, because religion teaches this, that sanctification is something you bring upon yourself by what you do. They believe it deep beneath conscious thought. It's embedded in the um, religious framework of their very persona. And I want to tell you, in case you don't know this, sanctification does not come about by your actions. It comes about by the grace of God. You think about in your own lives, and I think about it in mine all the time, the times that I have felt closest to the Lord and the most full of His peace and His love and His joy are not necessarily those times that I worked so hard to sanctify myself. In fact, they're usually not. doesn't mean you shouldn't still repent and seek the Lord and, and pray and maybe even fast. It doesn't mean that. But it is all of God. It is His grace. I've told you all this, but Brother Paul Owusu in Africa, who he's experienced spiritual battles that I can't imagine. He was captured by some witches once who wanted to cut his head off and use it in a potion. 
And he escaped. He knows what spiritual warfare is like. And he told me when he was younger, he used to go to a cave and stay there for three days and pray and fast. And so I'm like, oh, my spiritual God and brother, tell me, <laughs> how do I do this? I didn't say it in those words, but that's where my mind and heart was. You're so much more spiritual than me. How do I become like you? And he said, Brother Josh, what you have to remember is even prayer is grace of God. He said, there's times I went to the cave and nothing happened. It wasn't even real prayer. Because even that is the grace of God. And any time you divert from understanding that it is all of God, all of His mercy and grace, you're deluding yourself. You're robbing yourself of peace and you're in a wrong season. Don't be broken unless God makes you broken. Don't be, beat yourself up unless He convicts you. And then when He convicts you, repent and move on. Once he forgives you. There's a time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. That again is self-explanatory, but boy, our culture could learn uh, that there's a time for silence. What is that old saying? Better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I've heard people tell stories about being in business meetings and the most silent person they usually assumed was in charge, sitting back watching everything. I've noticed that in restaurants. A lot of times the owner is, is this, he's got everybody else out in front. There's a time to be silent. And there's a time to speak. And I'll say this before I move past that one. When God gives us opportunity to speak, and sometimes it's out of duty, sometimes it's not out of uh, mystical bubbling up of some emotions inside. When you have opportunity to speak, do it with boldness and love. I'm talking about speaking about spiritual things. Boldness and love. There's a time for love and a time for hate. My postmodernist mind, conditioned by our culture, immediately said, oh, surely that doesn't mean hate. So I looked it up. It means hate. It's exactly what it means. Solomon is writing from a perspective of somebody who experienced the world in every facet that he could. He literally dedicated himself to vanity to drunkenness, to women, to pursuing stuff, to building up wealth, to doing everything that humans think can make them happy. And, and he saw the human experience and he recognized as long as we're in this life, humans are humans and there'll be times that they love and there'll be times that they hate. It's part of it. Now, should you hate? Well, Jesus said... Uh, <laughs> Do good unto those that do evil to you. Forgive. We should forgive. But it's not this phony religious idea of, of, you know, tolerate everything and never take a stand and never offend anybody. There's a time to take a stand. There's a time to be angry at something. It's okay. More importantly, there's a time for love. There's a time for war and a time for peace. Again, this is not a utopia. We're not going to have constant peace. There's always tribal squabbles, there's always war in the Middle East as long as any of us have read history. And all these notions that misguided humanitarian types have that we can somehow change all of that, that's exactly what it is, misguided. There's a time for war, unfortunately. There's a time for peace. I mentioned this already, but he says eternity is set in the human heart. And that is why 
All of these times and all of these seasons that God gives us, all of these experiences, they help balance out our own human experience. And what I'm trying to make us understand this morning, what God has put in my heart, is to tell you it's okay. Be a human. He made you a human. And then Adam messed you up. That's okay. The second Adam fixed it. You know, even in this life, we can experience moments of what God intended for us. And not necessarily fleeting moments. It can be ongoing periods of time. But you never arrive. And you need to hear that too. All of us need to hear it. There are times that you have such spiritual clarity and such direction and leadership of the Lord, but your whole life will not be that way. You can't arrive at this place that you're always in perfect harmony and communion and God tells you everything to do all the time. I remember... A lot of y'all know Brother Phil Mayo. When he got saved, when he found the Lord, oh man, it was a transformation. He said he used to go to bed with a 12-pack of beer in his bed. Drunk. All the time drunk. And when God saved him, he was so different. He, big old guy. Strong, muscle, powerful guy. Turned into a big crybaby. I mean, y'all know him. He just goes up to people and just starts crying and saying, I love you. And he told me for about the first six or seven years after he was saved, his spiritual direction was so clear. He said he would wake up and God would just lead him to go over here or over there. He didn't plan any of his life. You know what? That went away. You can't live in a perpetual state because there's no faith. You know where faith comes from? Dark times. Uncertainty. Faith comes from the silence of God. It doesn't come when He's pounding on your heart constantly saying, do this, go here, talk to Him. Are there times like that? Sure. Is it the norm? No. And we must be cautious about not making a rule out of an exception. You know what the rule in Scripture is? Follow the Lord. Prove what you hear by this. Prove the false doctrines and false voices. And you know what also? You have a duty that can be joyful or it cannot be. I'm going to say something to... to I think prove that. I hope it will help you understand what I mean. And a lot of people disagree with me on this, but that's okay. I'm entitled to have my own experience. It's all right. I didn't start pastoring here because God led me to. In fact, He didn't lead me to. I was told to. Not by some mystical force, but by Him. And he said, you know what? You have a duty. I didn't like it. I was young, younger than I am now. Felt very overwhelmed and unqualified. I still feel that way. But I I think probably all of you would agree that God has used me being here and I maybe even would say that He has intended for me to be here in this capacity. I see that. But it didn't start with a pounding heart, uh, overwhelming burden I couldn't shake. This is what I'm trying to tell you. There are times that you just need to do the right thing. And God will bless you. You think Paul was led to go everywhere he went, to every church he went to, all those letters he wrote, and every problem he had to deal with? It doesn't work that way. There's faith. There's duty. There's sacrifice. And there's blessings and joy from the Lord. I'm not suggesting you should do something that God is leading you not to do. But sometimes there's not a clear answer and you still 
let me put it this way. He has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There are times God will not answer you. That's part of the season. There are seasons He answers you clearly, and there are seasons He won't, and you still have to make a decision. Now, you can disagree with me on that, but you can't prove it in Scripture. I've had times like that. And I've had times where the Lord let, made me to know that, you know what, I don't care what you choose. It's your choice. You have complete freedom in this. Oh boy, that's scary to religious people. See, we want to blame it on God. Like Adam, to God, this woman you gave me. Your fault. You're the one who gave her to me. What was I supposed to do? <laughs> be a whole lot easier to move through life like upon every bad decision we make we blame on God well I was told to do that no. be careful what is God's will to love each other this is the will of God even your sanctification what if you only love people you felt led to love Right? It's a duty, and you still pray about it. You still try to love people and ask them, God, I know I'm wrong. I, oh, I should love that person better, but I don't even like them. And He helps with that. There's seasons, even in that. There's one more thing I need to touch on before I, I close. I, I mentioned part of this already, but Paul wrote to the Corinthian congregation, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regards to evil, you can be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. This is the message God has put in my heart this morning, is you need to have spiritual maturity, mental, intellectual maturity. Think about things logically and reasonably, and let Him lead your heart. It goes together. And you can be innocent about evil. There's too much evil, you don't have to know about all of it. He also said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in therewith to be content. There's a false doctrine, a big, bad false doctrine floating around that if you really serve God, you'll be happy all the time. You won't have challenges. Your life will be easy. Scripture and history actually teach us close to the opposite. Jesus specifically taught the opposite. He said, if you come and follow me, you'll lose everything. I'm not suggesting you'll have definite financial poverty if you follow the Lord. That's another extreme. Here's, this is the point I'm trying to get to. If we don't recognize that there are seasons of life, spiritual and emotional, physical seasons of life, here's what happens. We start to believe that something should be the same all the time, and then it produces these super extremes. And so we come up with these extreme people on one hand, the false health, wealth, and prosperity people, and to combat it, we have some of the people we associate with who are the dumb, broken, uh, ignorant crowd. I'm not calling them that. I'm telling that they feel like that's better to be that way. I'm not saying they're broke or ignorant or dumb. But to combat the extreme of if you really love God, everything will be easy and you'll have a lot of money over here is if you really love God, your life will be miserable, you won't be happy, and you won't have any nice stuff. And if you do, you should feel guilty. That's the extreme. You have extremes like, um, well, emotional extremism. Somebody's supposed to get up and holler, run around, and make a big mess... And the other extreme of that is stoicism. You should stand right here and speak at the same level voice and, and be an academic. There are extremes like <laughs> notes 
Some people on one extreme write out their whole sermon with no inspiration from the Spirit because they're not preachers. They can't be inspired by the Spirit because they weren't called by God. That's one super extreme, and so they write a manuscript speech. The other extreme is you shouldn't prepare at all because if it's really spiritual, God will just fill your mouth. I already talked about the extremes of duty versus leadership. There's both. Sometimes there's duty without any manifest leadership, and sometimes there's such specific leadership that you don't have to think about duty because God carries you with this spiritual strength to do it. There's a, what I would call analysis versus intuition. Some people are so analytical. They process, think about, be so logical about everything. Some people are over here, they don't think about anything before they do it. And it's really evident when you hear them talk and see their lives. <laughs> Those extremes aren't healthy. There is a, a season for all of that. And only God can show us the balance of those seasons. It's easy in religion to think about all the things we don't like. All the things we don't agree with. All the things that are wrong. But I want you to hear this. You can't make a positive out of a negative. You can't build a religion just on things you don't agree with. And a lot of Baptists try to do that. Well, what do you believe? Well, I don't believe this, this, or this. Oh, so what do you believe? Have you had those conversations with people? You can't make a philosophy out of the absence of things. There has to be things that you know and believe. And, and let me close with this. The Christian experience is supposed to be one of fullness, not absence. Fullness. When God saves you, this has been my experience, and maybe I think it's everybody's when He saves you. Everything is magnified. Yeah. I have greater sorrow and greater heaviness, greater burdens for people. But with that, there's greater joy and greater comfort and greater peace. In fact, I didn't know peace and comfort and joy before God saved me. I only knew the bad things. Everything is more awake and more alive and you can feel these depths of sorrow for people, but at the same time you can have this joy and sustainable joy. You can feel love for other people that goes deeper than your comprehension and heavier than anything you can imagine. At the same time, God can sustain you in that so that it's not going to drown you. That is the paradox of this Christian faith. He makes us complete in the moment, in the midst of all the swirling seasons what Jesus does for us. That's part of the point of Christianity. If you know Him, take it easy on yourself. Be at peace. Repent when you need to. Have joy when you can. If you don't know Him yet, seek Him. And you can know joy, peace, and all of these things. God bless you.